Hi guys and welcome to another edition of the Fights Up Boxing Podcast. I'm Lukash, as ever, and um, yeah, nice and simple one today. Um, it wasn't anything really glamorous at the weekend, but there was some decent stuff to talk about, some interesting stuff to talk about technically. Um, yeah, there's some scoring to talk about, so I'm going to talk about um, Danny Jacobs versus John Ryder, about the scoring in that, and uh, but also about you know how that ended up being what it ended up being, given Jacobs' dominant start. Then I'm going to... And so we can talk about a little bit about Felix Cash versus um, Madiev on that card, because that was fun, but also I got quite a lot wrong, and the one I talk about why in my preview. And then I'm going to talk about a little bit about the card that happened on Friday that had Lee McGregor on it. Um, he also suffered a bit of a robbery. that like, he, he clearly won his fight and then got scored a draw. And um, there was also Danny Dignam versus Grant Dennis. Um, and that was a fight that received sort of very little attention outside of the British scene and not very much attention within the British scene. Um, you know, it, that headlined the card because it was for an EBU title, a European title. But uh, but McGregor, Lee McGregor was clearly the name on the card. But that fight was quite interesting. Um, and some of it tallies a little bit with what I'm going to say about Jacobs' rider. So I want to talk about that as well. That, there were some interesting little technical details there that I just want to highlight. Um, so... So we'll do that. But yeah, again, he started with um, Ryder versus Jacobs, Jacobs versus Ryder, which, um, you know, I was happy to see taking place in Alexander Palace because uh, that's a, you know, I don't know how it works when you're inside, but that's a great building. Like, that's one of London, one of favourite buildings in London from the outside, and it, it looked neat. But anyway, the point is, did Danny Jacobs get robbed? Like, yeah, I think ultimately he did. Um, I can't see, I can see a draw. Um, I didn't score a draw, I scored it 7-5 to Jacobs, but I could see a draw. But I can't see any legitimate way that to get from 6-6 six, six to 7-5 towards a rider. So I think you have to count it as a robbery. robbery. I don't think it was one of those robberies where you're looking at clear and outrageous incompetence or corruption. Because the first round and the sixth round, there was a, you know, the first round nothing really happened. And in the sixth round, there was a little bit of a... Ryder was starting to sort of get back into it the way, you know, eventually he sort of took over in the second half of the fight. Like, um, I I don't think either of those... I don't think Ryder had a valid claim to either of those, but um, but I don't think he had to be screaming that a judge got paid off or that he just doesn't know what he's seeing. It, you know, you can see it with the telescope is how I put it in a comment I, I said. So, you know. Um, but even still, um, Ryder has... Um, Jacobs has reason to be uh, be annoyed about that, um, and you know you can talk about uh, maybe it's a bit of a turn back fair play because Ryder has been robbed in the past, famously against Callum Smith, and also I think against Robbie Fielding, that was quite controversial, and obviously Jacobs um, he had a dull and very controversial win over over um, our boy Abrazado last time he fought. But I don't. My argument for not being that outraged isn't based on those, because you can't really, you can't really do that as tempting as it sometimes is. Even now, as tempting as it is, you can't really say, "Oh, he got robbed once, so he got a robbery once, so that makes this one okay." But what I am going to say is that Danny Jacobs pretty much brought it upon himself. Like he he was completely in control in the first six rounds. He had a he had the fight. It seemed like he had the fight in the bag. I was poking and moving and poking and moving and Ryder just did not have the... He didn't seem to have the tools to get anywhere close to Jacobs. It just wasn't happening, you know. His thing about Ryder is um, 
he can only move so fast and he was it's generally a good habit to have but he was absolutely refusing to compromise his position um his stance to get to jacobs closer and in the first six rounds all that resulted in is was a he didn't get really hurt, but he just had no hope of getting close to Danny Jacobs. And it just wasn't, you know, it didn't seem like there was any answer. And it didn't seem, he wasn't putting Jacobs under enough pressure that it seemed like Jacobs was going to tire and start letting him get close. Um, yeah, and it was a it was a movement-based performance. Um, like Jacobs, I think it's always been the case. Where he's very good at, uh, very good at, dis- at keeping his distance and moving around. He isn't very... Uh, he isn't very good once he gets in closer. This is something I did say in my preview. But just in the first six rounds, it just didn't look like Ryder was, had any way to get there. He wasn't jabbing his way inside. Like even when he did jab and come in behind it, um, Jacobs just didn't have... Uh, he just saw everything coming, basically. And yeah, slowly, Ryder started to work in some entrances. Um, he was... Um, like I say, it was difficult for him because he refuses to to compromise his, like he's hittable, but he refuses to really compromise his balance. So he started working out this thing where he'd throw sort of a long leaning jab, um, but be sort of tucked up behind it and then come in behind it with a body shot, stepping around Jacobs as he did it. And that started to have some success. And basically a couple of those landed solidly and then Jacobs just went all to pieces. And I don't know if it's all mental or if there was some Again, some tight, you know, despite looking like he could do it all, all night, then maybe there was some tiredness component because, um, because that does happen. Um, when your game plan is based entirely on just moving and your stance isn't right when you're inside, you don't have to get all that tired to, um, to start losing the, the, to start losing a little bit of pace and to see the, the other guy get suddenly be getting his shots off first. But I think there was probably almost definitely some mental thing going on there as well. Where he just, I wouldn't, he, he didn't give up. You know, some people were saying, "I oh, was, um, he hasn't got the heart. He's, he's, uh, he doesn't have the dog in him for the fight." Oh, I don't think that's true. Like, he's not. He, I mean, firstly, saying that to someone with a massive scar up his back from his battle with cancer, saying that he's got no heart for the fight, is quite frankly just a little bit insulting. So let's not do that. Um, but even in just speaking, speaking specifically about boxing. Um, just that, like Jacobs never he fell apart, but he never gave up on the fight. And the last three rounds were much closer than the middle. There's a six, uh, seven through to nine. Um, so he was still, you know, in there calculating whatever. He just didn't have, for whatever reason, he lost all the tools that he had to to keep Ryder at bay. And yeah, in that, in that latter half of the fight, a lot of what um, it's something I can be a a little bit smug about because a lot you know the first six rounds my prediction that this was going to be a close uh, close one that Jacobs might find himself a little bit in trouble were just look absolutely foolish and then in the second half of the fight just all my talk about uh, Jacobs being vulnerable when he gets in close and not having the defensive tools beyond just moving him just proved out he, it was just a complete case of that of him just not knowing what to do when, when Ryder was uh, throwing and even his recovery was about you know, as much as anything, it was about Ryder slowed down enough that he was again a bit more on par with the speed of movement, a little bit more behind Jacobs, and uh, wasn't getting as much home uh, as you know anything Jacobs really did in terms of uh, adjustment. I think maybe he sorted out his footwork a little bit. Like um, he became much more deliberately sort of avoiding 
any engagement kind of thing. And then, well, no, that's not even true. I'll say this. He, uh, he became much more certain about moving first, and then he did try, and this is the, thing, the one adjustment that he did make, so I was being unfair, he did try to engage Ryder a bit more as he was coming in in the last three rounds. And that was why I ultimately ended up scoring it for Jacobs. Um, I gave him, I think it was a tenth? Might have been the 11th. I had this written down somewhere and then it's, now it's gone. But um, it was one of the last three rounds that I scored for him. Some people scored all of the last three. Some people suggest that um, that round 12 has to be scored for Jacobs. I don't think that's quite true, but I'll have to, you know, someday, someday maybe I'll rewatch a fight and uh, change my mind. But, you know, maybe I'm just being biased because I did give that the rider on the night. Um, but yeah, um, but basically what I'm saying here is that uh, as. As much as Red Jacobs should have won, he can't really complain too much given how how unprepared he was for for what Ryder was gonna bring because uh yeah, his first plan you know, you know that Ryder has to get in close to do his work, you know that he's not a good assistant. So yeah, it is fine to be um to base your game plan first around keeping away, like that's sensible. But you have to have some backup and uh, I don't know whether he got arrogant because he, um, you know, he he kept his distance for a while against Golovkin and um, Canelo. Even you know, they both won those fights, but they're far more elite fighters, and he sort of kept them at bay. Like he, he never really fell out of those fights. Um, so maybe he got arrogant and thought he didn't need to against Ryder. Um, but yeah, he just had no answer to when Ryder did get his success going. Like he knew what Ryder was trying to do, and he, you have to consider that your opponent might at some point find some success you can't base your game plan um about uh you can't base your entire game plan around everything going exactly as you wanted to for all 12 rounds um well, that that's happens a bit more often than you think in you know high level professional boxing but it was just a this was a clear display of that happening and it was like i just can't you know i can't get too outraged because jacobs just kind of brought it upon himself it's not even about the defensive fighting because i saw some people oh yeah jacobs was kind of asking for it by fighting that defensively he was fighting not to lose rather than fighting to win but that's a valid way of you know fighting um you know as much as me we may not like it it is a perfectly sensible way to box but the best point boxers the best outboxers always have the, at least a defense at least some kind of defense when they get inside um and you know the really best ones can fight in the pocket as well as they can on the outside obviously um but you have to have something and jacobs just didn't and that was what was uh frustrating about that fight and you know for jacobs going forward he'd be sort of looking back at uh fighting at world level again um yeah that would be tricky for him like john Ryder now moves on it's hard to say what go what happens exactly happens next. In theory, I think it should be challenging for um because this was an eliminator for eliminator for the WA WBA title at super middleweight, and uh, Canelo holds the main super title, but um he doesn't seem that interested in fighting for the uh, this division at the moment. Uh, maybe not you know for the WBA belt. I don't know. Um the sort of sub title not a title was held by david morrell and uh this is a young cuban fighting like, in america now i've talked about him a little bit before i don't think i'm not sure i've talked about him on the podcast before i've uh, tweeted about him um, some of you will know my thoughts um i'll talk about him in a second but yeah that should be the uh should be the next fight for john Ryder if everything you know if canelo vacates and uh 
that comes together that should be the next fight it's kind of hard to say with the eliminator because uh you know was he eliminating for can the belt canelo is holding or was he eliminating for the belt that uh Morel is holding and it's Can- you know if canelo does come back down would he fight john Ryder? would he come to england do we know that you know he doesn't have to obviously but it might be an opportunity to get a few a bit of a crowd in or will he be fighting Morel? Obviously, Ryder has absolutely zero chance against Canelo like that. Just uh, it's fairly even worth discussing as a fight. That is, I, for his sake, I hope he gets it, gets some money, um, goes home laughing. But uh, but it's not a contest. Um, Morel versus Ryder is much more interesting because Morel is a uh, he's very explosive, very fast, very powerful, and very very raw. And you know, it may be in a couple of years of development. Um, I think he might. He would be well beyond Ryder if he keeps if he develops as he should. Uh, it's a bit early to say if he's going to if that's happening for him, but uh, but if he develops as is sort of expected, he should be beyond Ryder before too long. But by then, Ryder would be sort of looking to wind down his career anyway. I would have thought. But at the moment, just uh, if Ryder can weather sort of weather the storms. I think he has a real chance in that fight, just because Morel is he's raw, raw in ways that are, that are badly countered against what Ryder does. Because I spoke earlier about um, Ryder refuses to let himself be off-balanced, basically. And he kind of gives up ground in doing that, but he just kind of he refuses to expose himself, whereas Morel just doesn't care. And that is not necessarily really a good thing. It's not necessarily a good thing. Um, and I think that, yeah, if Ryder can tuck up and take the shots... Then he can not just hurt, but still end up bullying, potentially bullying um, Morel, because he will be off balance so much that it wouldn't take a lot of damage. It wouldn't take a really big shot, or even a really big, you know, when he starts getting into a little shoving match, it wouldn't take a lot to push Morel around. Not because Ryder is stronger, because he's not, but just because he would have, he will, is likely to have so much a stronger base. And so that, you know, I'm not going to super get into the details of how I think that fight would go because that I'm not going to do that until it's if it's ever declared if that's ever even on the actual table but it's uh it's an interesting option for Ryder and I'm not really sure what else there is out there for him you know if Canelo vacates so that that is one we might see happening um the other fight we saw on the card uh was Felix Cash versus Magomed Madiev, and as I said at the top of the show, I got a fair portion about this wrong. There were some things I got right, you know, I'm not completely unhappy with uh, with my predictions. Um, yeah, just as a note, if anyone's listened to it for the first time or just doesn't know me, um, or doesn't know this about me, I do like part of why, I do like to figure out why I got something wrong when I'm analysing, you know, I think of myself as an analyst, la di da di da I do like to get into why some why I got something wrong as much as why I got something right. So that's what I'm gonna do here and hopefully hopefully I learn something from doing it and hopefully I can get something across to you all if you're you know because I assume if you follow me on a fight type podcast you're uh, interested in the technicalities. So um, I'm gonna try to get to that here. And yeah, what I said was gonna happen was that uh Vadiev was gonna be better at range but he was going to be more vulnerable when he came inside, and um, and Cash Cash would struggle at range, and uh, and have more success when it, when he the fight got in close. Um, and the, watching the fight, you can see why I said that because uh, 
because Madiev movement and footwork is much stronger and he was more sort of initially more active with the jab and he's more, sort, of sort of more proactive moving in and out and uh, Cash is a bit more of a static fighter but what it ended up what ended up happening was that um, Madiev movement ended up um, being the best for him when he got inside of Cash's jab where like, there's the knockdown in the second round you can see immediately uh, what happened um, it's not that Cash got out of shape because I uh, that I didn't get it that wrong. Cash was pretty, you know, he was doing what he needed to be doing. Had he just made a very good move, <laughs> beat him to a counter, but he slipped inside something. He slipped inside a punch that that. Uh, that cash through underneath really. Madiev, it was a notable feature of the fight that Madiev was getting very, very low, trying to sort of counter Cash's son's advantage by just getting underneath him all the time. And it, this is where one of the places where it succeeded. When Cash, and uh, he did fall, like, you know, this was, again, you can see what, what I was talking about. Cash threw an uppercut, fell short, turned it into sort of a jab, which uh, Magma sort of faded it back from and then kind of came in underneath behind it and threw a big looping overhand left as he stepped around Cash. And that was a straight away, you know, I, I said that uh, Madiev's leaping approaches were going to be a problem. Whereas ultimately, Madiev's leaping approaches, he angled them in such a way that he wasn't leaping directly at Cash, he was sort of jumping and moving past him. A little bit in the way that um, me and Taylor have talked about that Israel Madrimov does, um, where he can leave him vulnerable. But I think, and I thought that's what was going to happen, essentially. I didn't mention Madrimov, but I think that's where I was coming from. Um, but he, he was managing, in large part, to angle those uh, approaches as uh, to get past Cash. Um, and turn him and he caught basically he caught cash on the turn he he moved past him and through at the same time and he sort of just caught cash at a completely weird angle and knocked him down um, then afterwards I think he got a little bit uh, he got a little bit cocky because he came out for the th you know possibly gas himself out a bit because he did go for it for the rest of the round then uh, he got a little bit cocky he came out with this you know um, in the previous fight of his he'd fought with a really low lead hand for no reason and uh, gone to a draw that he really shouldn't be going to and he kind of started doing that he reverted pretty quickly, but it was just really pointless, you know, sort of elbows out, really strange stance, and he lost himself some ground and allowed Cash to <coughs> re-establish himself. And uh, this is where I got it wrong, is that uh, Cash established himself behind a jab that I wasn't really expecting him to have and started intercepting. And this is maybe where I can give myself a little bit of credit for spotting the tr tr trend, because uh, he was catching Madiev on the move. <clears throat> and sort of intercepting Madiev's movement and getting there and um, Madiev was trying to get inside past the past the jab and uh, Cash would just sort of be intercepting him and fighting at range so basically it became a fight about this is where I got it completely wrong um, it became a fight that was about Madiev trying to get inside and get around and Cash trying to keep it at range at middle range especially he wasn't really doing much at long long range but you know he was throwing a jab and then throwing intercepting little hooks and upcuts and straights um and that's where he did his best work. I think what I can say is that uh, the reasoning for it was, uh, the reasoning that I gave was fine, that um, that Madiev's footwork, that Madiev's final approach was a little bit vulnerable. Um, but uh, but I was, but Cash did adjust and start, he was better at range than I expected, and that's where ultimately I think the fight was turned. Um, and that Cash was more vulnerable on the inside is also where I was wrong, because I, I thought that Cash... And he did show it at times. He shows he he shows a good turn, you know, for such a big guy. Sometimes he sometimes seems a little bit lumbering when you're on the outside, and even here that showed occasions. 
but when he got in, when he gets in close, I thought he shows a good turn, some agility, good head movement as well to control where his opponent's moving. And uh, some of the time that did happen, but some of the time he, you know, ultimately Mandiev was better at moving around that doing that almost Lomachenko, like not even close to that level, but um, but almost Lomachenko like moving past and around and turning cash and. Uh, I didn't expect that to be the case. So that's what that fight became a case of. And it became... Yeah, so Madiev took a, took the early lead because he scored the early knockdown and then Cash sort of started to take to take over and um, and control the middle rounds, most of the fight really, with a, with a jab and those intercepting shots. And that is one thing that I do like about Cash. Um, um, I did mention this in my preview and I should have done, is that he's very... He does have a nice... He has a nice selection of punches and... He is good at disguising them. That's the thing that I always praise uh, the fighter for. He is good at hiding what shot's coming until very late. So, you know, you think he's going to throw an uppercut and it comes out as a hook. You think he's going to throw a jab and he can change a jab. Yeah, I mean, he's not disguising it fully, but he can change a jab into a hook quite quite well. Most of the time, you know, he did get caught in the knockdown doing that, uh, well, changing a uppercut into a jab. But he's good, he's good at that kind of thing. He's good at throwing these little combinations and seeing the opening and adjusting the combination that he's throwing. He's not a rope puncher. Like a lot of the sort of the traditional British uh, scene of uh, a few years ago, you had a lot of British fighters um, who's sort of at the level sort of at the level of cash, you know, your Terry Flanagan's, your uh, your um, Anthony Crawlers and that. They had very good fundamentals, not too dissimilar to cash. But um but the combinations were a little bit rope, I think, and that started to change in the British scene. And Cash is an example of that, where he is picking his combinations as he throws them, without losing the tempo of the combination. He's he's good at it, and that's I think ultimately that is what helped win him the fight through the middle rounds. And the fact that I think Madiev, I wouldn't necessarily say he gassed in the sense that uh, you know he was struggling to throw, but um, but he was tired enough that his movement was compromised and he couldn't get low behind his punches anymore. And that did make it much easier for Cash. Possibly there was also an element of Cash did get a little bit dirty, um, where he was he was axing shots down onto to meet as because Madiev would come down and up, and and Cash was sort of axing shots down onto him, um, which isn't illegal in and of itself, but uh, was at risk of punches behind the head, and he did connect with a couple, and that may have possibly. Um, just discouraged Madia from doing that. It's hard to say for sure, unless he says it at some point. Uh, but um, but that is a possibility. Um, it was def- it was a definite tactic from Cash to throw down onto Madia. You know, once he realised that Madia was doing this, coming under and jumping, you know, sort of almost leaping up, throw the punches. Um, it was a definite tactic from Cash to punch down at him, <clears throat> which is a let's be honest, that is an impressive adaptation because you don't typically. It's not a typical. Um, part of a boxer's armory so just to decide to do that I'm not even sure whether it came from him or the corner but uh, but it's a smart adaptation to something you know changing levels isn't unusual the degree to what Madiev was doing in the early rounds was so that was a good adjustment and that bodes well for cash for future for the future but then in the last round I'm not really sure what happened whether he gassed or not because in round 9 this was a 10 round fight in round 9 um, there was a little bit of a in the round nine, Cash was still looking sharp as hell. Still, he was doing still doing the thing where he was, um, you know, his lead hand was really sharp. This is a, it's not an easy thing to do to, you know, jab, jab, hook with the same hand. So, and he was still doing that sharp, 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 um, it, right up to the end of ninth, the ninth round. And then the beginning of the tenth, Madiev jumped out, caught him, and after that, just um, <clears throat> Cash had no interest really. He just wasn't fighting anymore. He was holding on. 
very literally and um there was some in some suggestion that he might have gassed uh i think he was hurt i think it wasn't the knockdown that hurt him um it was early the first just basically the first punches that Madio threw he sort of jumped in and uh i think he hurt cash and then after that he followed up um with a you know fairly simple knockdown cash was backing off i don't think he had his balance under him and Madio sort of it's sort of a ranged shot kind of almost grazed him um you know it was a knockdown it wasn't a wasn't some kind of a <clears throat> flash shot but uh I, don't, I think by then cash was already a little bit gone so i think that's what happened rather than really gas him um but yeah after that he was he got off into trouble really i mean he was just holding on with no thought of fighting he got a point taken he was not completely you know he could have got another point taken off because immediately after the first one he just kind of basically grabbed on and fell over pulled guard almost uh yeah, um, and then after that he did kind of, it got very snoppy and then Madiev clearly get, did gas himself out a little bit again because um, the last half of the last round was just the two of them throwing the ugliest shots at each other. Um, it was fun, it was entertaining, but uh, but given the previous, uh, the rest of the fight had been sort of tidy, two tidy boxers trying to out-tide each other and find the vulnerabilities, the last minute and a half is just uh, two very tired and... Uh, at least one very hurt man throwing the wildest shot they could to try to stay on top of the fight. And uh, yeah, in the end, I think Cash deserved the win. I didn't score it properly. But uh, it would be hard to give Madiev too much outside the knockdown rounds. Maybe the first one too. So so yeah, he could have... He I think he won deservedly, but I think both of them sort of have a decent future without being... I mean, I like Cash, and I think he's going to go on to challenge for what I was... Um, I'm not sure how many he's going to, you know, how, if he's going to be sort of a dominant or long-time world champion. These are middleweights, which, you know, a few years ago would have been like, oh, this is a Shark Tank division, and now it's a bit, you know, all the main guys are really old um, or trying to move up or whatever. There doesn't seem to be an awful lot of uh, talent coming through. So possibly Cash, you know, I think Cash is probably good enough to have some success in that context. Um, but if middleweight does sort of resume, or if maybe some of the big, bigger, younger guys that are... Uh, uh, one five four come up. You know, I'm not quite sure how well versed he'll be there, but he is a good fighter. Like, don't get me wrong; I don't, I don't want to state him at this point after a good win. He is a good fighter, and he'll be. He won't be an easy out for very many fighters. You know, if you fought a Canelo, uh, yeah. But other than that, I think he'll be. I think he'll probably probably win a world title. I don't know if he's there yet, but um, it's sort of on the cards for him. Yeah, he's got a decent little future. But yeah, like I said, I think so does Maggio. If he's got some things to clean up, he does have to concentrate on uh, keeping his shape when he's tired. That's something I... Uh, it's one of the pet peeves of mine. I talked about it uh, a little a little while ago. Um, keeping your form when you're tired is an important fight type of fight uh, thing for a boxer. It's, it's, it's a bit like the thing about always having a scenario for um, something in the bag for the worst-case scenario, like with Danny Jacobs. Um Madiev didn't really seem to have a plan for what happened if he got too tired to be really changing levels so powerfully. He didn't seem to have an idea for what to do then, and I think he needs one. So so that's that for him. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's all I'm really going to say about that fight. Now I'm going to talk about uh, Lee McGregor. I'm going to do this in reverse order, or rather in chronological order, not going from the top of the card down. Um, I'm going to talk about the Friday night card. Lee McGregor for... Diego Alberto Ruiz, he's a fairly familiar face. Um, he's fought Michael Conlon in the past. He fought Shabazz Massoud uh, a few months ago. And um, 
Yeah, Lee McGregor won, should have won that fight comfortably. Um, it ended up being scored, I think, by, just by the ref. I think it was a one-person scoring jobby that, that you get on these British cards. It ended up being scored a draw, which I don't think was right at all. So, you know, I didn't score the fight directly live, so I can't say for 100% certain. But even though I think he uh, he deserved to win, quite obviously, um, I do think it showed things that McGregor, let's say things McGregor needs to work on. He's still, it is fairly early days for him because since he moved to Davidson's camp, to Ben Davidson's camp, um, he has very much restructured his game from the ground up. So I don't want to be sort of writing him off completely. Um, you know, before before the move, uh, I was uh, less high on him because I thought he was very unstructured and sort of just, uh, he didn't really have a plan. He was just kind of opportunistically taking shots and relying on his explosivity. And at the moment, he sort of still is relying on his explosivity and power, but he does have a plan. He's trying to box inside. He's coming in. Um, you know, he's coming behind a jab and trying to get in close. He's trying to make it an inside fight, a very close in the pocket or a clinch fight. Um, and he does it well. Like earlier on, I did talk about, um, I was live tweeting a part of this. Um, I did talk about him. He's been developing an inside defense where he uh, he uses his gloves really well. He uses sort of fade backs very well. Um, but yeah, he parries and counters, catches and counters very well at the moment. And uh, he's trying to set up his power. Um, and he did that well, but he ended up getting discomforted. And this is a thing, I think, you can see what he's missing if you watch Diego Ruiz's fights against Conlon and against uh, Masood, who is a stablemate of uh, of his uh, um, of um, of McGregor's at Davidson's gym. But he fights very differently. He's a much rangier fighter, and he's much more mobile in terms of outside movement. He's more, he's more the typical... Um, Davidson fighter a bit closer to that, whereas uh, McGregor, I think, is leaning hard into Lee Wiley's um, teachings of the inside fight. Um, I, you know, I don't want to judge what's going on in camp, but just from following Lee Wiley for a while, uh, I know he's interested in that inside game, whereas obviously Davidson is stereotyped as this outside game um, coach. So that would just be you know, why I said that. Um, but the point being is that those two guys beat him, beat Ruiz by basically keeping turning him, keeping away, keeping a distance. And um, because McGregor wasn't really doing that, he got he did get very discomforted by um, by the fact that Ruiz throws back to everything. Like he will counter everything. No matter whether you land, whether you don't, whether you miss, whether or not, he will, he will try to throw everything back. And the other two sort of diffused that by just not being there to be hit, by turning him or by stepping off. And, you know, early on, McGregor was sort of stepping off, making, making him whiff. But... Um, but he decided he wanted to, you know, he couldn't do that end hunt for the knockout shot. And uh, he decided he wanted to sort of tough it out. Um, but he seems at the moment, and I think this is a work in progress thing, uh, like I say, but at the moment he seems to have this mentality. Um, there is also a concentration issue here, but he seems to have this mentality that he'd rather go through than around almost. Like he'd rather bully his way through. And he was just trying, so concentrated on trying to get Ruiz out of there that uh, he's not really focusing on movement after he throws and that became a problem for him because I don't think it would take an all it would I don't think it would have taken an awful lot. And I don't think he's very far away from being let's say let's being a much better fighter than he displayed here. Because I think if he had just the smart smallest escape plan, just a little bit of a turn and step out, um I think that fight would have gone a lot easier for him and it would add to his uh it would make his power more um mean more because uh 
he clearly does have a good shot, but he does get into these situations. Yes, he's very good at sort of ducking around his opponent and going upstairs and downstairs and all of this. Um, but you saw it here with Ruiz. He knew more or less where the punches were coming from. He wasn't creating, McGregor wasn't creating the real angles. Like he, yeah, he was using his movement and finding openings, but he never really got Ruiz off balance, which is, you know, an important thing to make power mean more. He never, never really got him following and turning. And I don't think... Yeah, like I said, I don't think we'll take an awful lot. And I think we'll see it, because in that camp, I, you know, I don't think... Uh, I don't think uh, Davison will allow that to go on for too long. You know, people criticise him as a coach sometimes, but he's he definitely has his interest, and movement is one of his interests. Um, so I do think it is a, probably, like I say, a work in progress thing, where and it's probably sensible to get McGregor... It's possibly the reason why he was fighting with this fight when he's fought... When early on he was fighting much higher level fights on paper is that they are restructuring this game from the ground up and it probably is a good idea to get that defence to get those catch encounters to get that uh, range appreciation of range uh, sorted out before they start having him dancing around opponents you know trying to beat Jesse Rodriguez or Vasily Lomachenko or whoever so that's probably a sensible thing but he does sort of need to get on with it because he can't hang around forever you know fighting this kind of thing this kind of fight and uh getting, you know, robbery draws, but he he shouldn't have really been in that position. So just that's just a you know, it wasn't a there's not an awful lot to say about it, but that's you know, I kind of wanted to get that out there. And the other fight I want to talk about is like I say, um Danny Dignam on the headliner, fighting Grant Dennis. And I should point out that in the meantime I've checked I did misspeak. I said it was for a European title. It's not for a real European title, it was for the WO WBO European title, which probably explains why uh, why this didn't really have such significance. Um, this is a middleweight fight, and you know Dignam. He, I'll be honest here. I hadn't, even though I follow British boxing, you know more than other scenes. I had, you know, I knew the name. I, I don't think I'd seen him before, and I wasn't really aware of him. And um, and um, Ron Dennis has sort of been around forever, but he's sort of he's never has he fought for British level. So let me have a quick look. No, the best he's fought. He lost uh, in the English level. Uh, title no sorry he won an Eng- no he lost an English level title against Elliot Matthews back in 2017 he's 38 now so he was sort of on his last this was sort of his last chance to sort of make a splash and maybe he would have tried to go for a British middleweight fight um, yeah it didn't go so well for him um, but it also showed the you know limitations of Dignam this was in some respects the reason I want to talk about this is because in some respects this is a sort of a to some extent a reflection a mirror of the main fight that we talked about of um, Ryder versus Jacobs, um, a different sort of thing, especially from um, from um, Grant Dennis. Um, his he was very much movement based, um, but uh, he's more wild and uh, janky. Dignam was sort of fought a sort of low key version of what Ryder did, and I think that's how you can describe him. He's a sort of low key version of Ryder. I don't think he's as good. Maybe he will be. Um, you know, I don't want to put my foot forward on that, but he's the kind of guy who does the same. It's a similar sort of story. Works behind a jab, tries to get in a relatively close, get his shot off. Doesn't like to compromise his position. You know, all of the kind of things I said about Ryder are true of Dignam. Um, and yeah, basically, what happened is he struggled with uh, with um, with um, Grant Dennis's uh, movement very early on. Um, and I said this pretty much straight away is that I don't think Grant Dennis was going to be able to succeed um, to keep it going for very long because it wasn't the commentary kept talking about how high energy it was and that's true 
but it wasn't just about that it was that uh he was essentially taking shortcuts all the time he was going over his sense of um, away from his balance and just going across taking the shortest way not the safest way all the time all the time putting himself out of balance out of shape to get to the safe position by going through unsafe positions and assuming that uh Dignam would be just there to catch him, I guess. And uh, that's dangerous to do at any time, let alone when you're 38. Um, and yeah, ultimately, that's just what happened, is um, Liz, he ended up not being able to do that anymore. He ended up slowing up a bit, getting caught by Dignam, and he didn't have the safety plan. So this is why I wanted to mention it, you know. Um, if you're fighting, if you're practicing, you know, there's two things. Firstly, have a backup plan. Have your... Uh, have your worst case scenario ready, not just your best case scenario, but also when you're practicing movement, you know, we're not all Roy Jones, and even Roy Jones got into trouble when he got old. Um, you know, as much as I don't, you know, he's clearly a good technician, but he did do things that others couldn't get away with. Do not plan your movement around taking the shortest, quickest route over, um, over the safest route. Keep yourself drill your safety procedures, drill your safety protocols, do not get yourself into a situation where an opponent doesn't have to land a heart punch to hurt you because you're falling into it, or to knock you down because you're fall- you're already falling away from it, just don't, just don't do that if you're training, like um, there are vanishingly fight- few fighters who, who can fight like that uh, at a high level, and all of them, even Roy Jones, had a solid sort of background to it, just don't do that, and um, you know, I don't want to knock on poor old um, poor old um, Grant Dennis because he's you know just a guy making his way had a decent little career on English level never got to British level he's just an example of he got into some bad habits that I guess he never shook don't do that um, you know if you're you, you know don't, there, are, there are things you can what you could you know you could watch that performance there are things that you could uh, as a young learning fighter pick up on that I'm not saying I'd point to Grant Dennis as a as, as someone that you should school from but you could you know there are things you could look at and think he did that quite nicely but his movement you know he based his game on his movement at least at this point he based his game on his movement that wasn't sustainable and that wasn't safe as a you know Danny Jacobs gave us the same lesson to bring it back round um, his movement is much safer and ultimately probably more sustainable but once he couldn't sustain it anymore he had no he had no recourse. He had very little recourse. He did do a little bit. But then, you know, that, that I think is the lesson from the podcast today. You have to always end with the moral of the story. But the moral of the story is uh, learn to fight tired, have a backup plan. And um, on that note, um, I will end just with the note that uh, Amir Khan versus Kelbrook is happening this weekend. I will be doing a preview piece about it. There will be some form of article. There are also other fights. Jamie Mungir is fighting. Um, and Jorge Linares off in Russia fighting. So I'll probably just do a preview piece together. I may separate it off Kale Brook um, with Amir Khan. But you know, I may also not do that. But that's coming. Um, either way. It's uh, sort of going to be a fun weekend. Even if that fight is well past its relevance. But uh, hope to see, you know, um, hopefully I can get the article out on time. Should be able to. And then... Uh, See you next week to talk about about the afters. Um, yeah, have a good one.